Hey, it's Trashy Divorces. This is Stacy. Hey, I'm Alicia. Welcome back, everybody. This week. What are we doing this week? Oh my God, that's life. Written by Dean Kay and Kelly Gordon. Recorded for Frank Sinatra's 1966 album of the same name. And we have two stories this week. Sort of that's life stories. Also informed by some That's Life events lately. That's exactly it. We had some unexpected travel this weekend for family, and we worked it out in a That's Life kind of way. We took two of our best stories that we have told with our live audience, live audiences and recorded them in the studio for you. The magic of studios. Alicia, who do you have for oh us this gosh, week? Oh my gosh, one of my favorites, y'all. This is the guy who was after me all of 2019. I couldn't get into a story without running into him. I have the trashy divorces of Porfirio Ruby Rosa. The most famous man you've never heard of. International playboy, real-life model for James Bond, four-time divorcee, with some of the most famous and wealthy women of all time. And y'all, it is trashy. It is pretty trashy. Also, the guy attracted ants, so... (laughs) I had to get it in for our Sunday canon. This guy was Mm -hmm. handcrafted for trashy divorces. Stacey, this week you have a... I have have an Atlanta story in a lot of ways. A little hometown that is the... I don't know if people remember this, but back in the 90s, there was this brief moment where Atlanta brave Dave Justice and actress extraordinaire Halle Berry were married. It was a very short, lovely time. It went badly, which is how we turn our eye to them. But uh, yeah, that happened. And there's there's really there's been a lot in the aftermath of that that continues to be a thing in the culture. So yeah, it's a good story. So it is our That's Life week. We have, before we get started on our episode, so many thanks this week to our amazing and awesome and spectacular Patreon community. Yep. So uh, this episode is ad-free this week because it is sponsored by these fine folks, and we cannot love and thank and praise them enough for supporting this trashy little podcast. So Alicia, who joined Team Trash Candy this week? Oh my gosh, in the magic mirror this week. Thank you. Ash C, Katie D, Lisa T, Pally R. We have Ashley H, Natasha S, Stephanie R, Melanie B, Melissa S and Danielle M. And even more so, an amazing super shout out to our super supporters. We had a few more this week who joined at our highest level. Or or upgraded to our highest level. Upgraded, exactly. And y'all, it's all trash candy all the time. Like five or sometimes six days a week solid. These super supporters are getting content. It is like a trash candy pinata. Who do we have to thank over there? Oh, we have Kate G. We have Casey B. We have Jennifer C. And we have Kate M. Thank you. Rocking the high end. To you and all of our Patreon people. And you're just... Team Trash Candy is the very best community that has ever existed. And we love them. It's a true story. We also need to give a big shout out to Jennifer Matarese from the Disaster Area podcast because we ducked over to our post office box the other day. And what did we find there? We found <laughs> so much trash chocolate. candy, literal trash candy. Uh, chocolates, her local chocolatier. She has a chocolatier. Think she about that. Does have a chocolatier. She has a podcast called Disaster Area, but lives with a chocolatier nearby. So it and can't this be local that bad. chocolatier happens to 
have like candy misfits, like maybe candy that's not fine enough to put in the glass, which it's trash candy, you guys. It's literal trash so candy. So Jennifer got many different delicious kinds, mm-hmm. milk chocolate, dark chocolate, white chocolate to, tr- uh, it, mm-hmm. it's a like box a- full of chocolate and I couldn't be more delighted no, about it. No, it. it was like uh, it was amazing to just start pulling bags and bags of of, of chocolates out. It was incredible. Jennifer, um, thank you for the trash candy. And, you rock. Yeah, and I will say one of my favorite listens over the holidays when we were on break, everybody was on break. Jennifer covered the attack at Nakatomi Plaza. So for all you diehard fans out there, like that was an excellent Christmas listen. <laughs> okay. Hey, Stacy. Yes. I've been up and down and over and out. I know one thing. Is that thing that it's time to start the episode of Trashy Divorces? You got it. That's life. Go, go, go. So, Alicia, I've heard you muttering words and listening to YouTube pronunciations. So what is Spanish for Casanova? Hoo-hoo. The... Trashy Divorces profilee that I'm covering this Mm. week. Oh, for sure. Our theme song this week, That's Life, might have been written for my dude this week. He's been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn, and a king, and maybe the real-life inspiration for 007, James Bond 2. Yeah. So he's British. No. (laughs) (laughs) Porfirio Ruby Rosa is Mm. his name, and he was the playboy of the 20th century he is involved in so many trashy divorces how have i never heard of him not just his own he is you know in forrest gump tom hanks is in the background of every picture Mm -hmm. nobody had to photoshop old ruby rosa in really he was in this much of history this is the most fascinating story he's like the most famous guy you've never heard of that's exactly right weird Involved not only in his own trashy divorces, but named in many other trashy divorces as well. He's also like a side piece to everyone. He is called the Casanova of the Caribbean. Oh, okay. His name, Porfirio Ruby Rosa. That's a lot of name to say. It is a lot of name. So like his friends do for the purposes of this story, we're going to call him Ruby. Okay. Okay. Making the case for this guy, Ruby, to be the real-life model of the character James Bond. There's a whole thesis by this dude named Dan Volker, which explains it so much in depth. But I'm going to give you some highlights between the shared qualities of the two. They're both womanizers and international playboys. Both are pretty dapper in their hand-cut English suits. Both are boxers to stay fit. They both have an affinity for fast cars and fancy gadgets. Both are world-renowned for their antics, scandals, and bad behavior. Oh, both have a license to kill. Mm. Both spend their childhoods in France. Both are known gamblers. Ruby's signature drink when he is at the casinos in Monte. Mm. You want to guess what it is? Is it a martini shaken and not stirred? You got it. Wow. So Ian Fleming... The mm-hmm. author of the James Bond yeah. canon loves the tabloids. There is nobody more in the thick of tabloid newspaper than our boy Ruby. 
Ian Fleming also goes to the Caribbean every winter where he will write the novel for the next year. So Ruby Rosa and Fleming are big buddies and they island hop together for years. Their crew is everybody. Fucking Errol Flynn, who at one time will be linked to one of Ruby's wives, Doris Duke. Oh, Oh, also Errol Flynn and uh, Ruby share a little Eva Perron (laughs) as well. Uh, Prince Ali Khan, who was married to Rita Hayworth. Noel Coward, Ali Khan and Ruby are all hang buddies at this place called the Peppermint Lounge in New York. Okay. Ruby will also spend the spring of 1952 diving for sunken Spanish galleon treasure in Jamaica, which is the plot in the scuba technology that's featured in Thunderball. Like, the connections are super real. Yeah. Porfirio Ruby Rosa is the most famous dude you've never heard of. He also is the dude that the Rat Pack wants to be. So Ruby is running and crossing with the Rat Pack a bunch. They're all, you know, swinging around the same circles. So Sammy Davis one night goes out with Ruby and is wrecked. Like, (sighs) it's an all-night wrecker. And Sammy Davis is feeling rough the next day. Wakes up, goes down to have some lunch at the hotel where they are. And he sees Ruby. Treat my hangover, please. No, Sammy Davis is hungover. And Sammy Davis sees Ruby, you know, looking awesome, dapper as hell, leaning against the bar, having a cocktail, like the party never stops. And Sammy's like, how do you do this? And Ruby Rosa says, your profession is being an entertainer. Mine is being a playboy. (sighs) So awesome. Y'all, this story has everything. It is extra sticky with the trash candy spiderwebs. International playboy, four-time divorcee to some pretty high-profile ladies. You ready to go? Yeah. Little baby Ruby is born January 22nd, 1909. He's an Aquarius baby. He is born in the Dominican Republic to an upper-middle-class family. Life's pretty okay, At the age of six, Ruby's dad, who is a total womanizer, I learned it by watching you, dad, is named ambassador to Paris. So the family moves from the Dominican Republic to Paris. Seems like a sweet gig. Sweet gig, if you can get it. And they stay there until Ruby's like 17. That is, wow. Oh my God. So he's living as a youth in Paris Mm -hmm. in the 20s. Mm. He loves to hang out at all the nightclubs in Montmartre. He says, books didn't find in me a very faithful friend, nor did the professors find a conscientious student. The only things that interested me were sports, girls, adventures, celebrities, in short, life. He is, he knows what he wants from a young age. Sure. So the family will head back to the Dominican Republic when he's 17. But even in Paris, there's a wealthy Chilean family that finds Ruby so damn charming, they beg his family, just let him stay here with us. Like, it's fine. Oh, just, you can go back to the DR and just leave your and son leave your here kid in here. Paris It's fine, we'll take and, care of him. Ooh, that's some either charisma or creepy adults. I, charisma, man. Ruby will go back to the Dominican Republic. He joins the army at 17. He advances quickly. By the time he's 20, he's a captain. He also on the side, a little free time. I was going to say the word generalissimo, but whatever. No, he captains a polo team, too. He's broke AF. 
but it's fine. He'll organize boxing matches on the weekends. It costs two cents to get in, two cents admission. So Ruby will sit shirtless and attract the attention of the ladies on the street corner to get the two cents. Ladies are always insane. I don't know what kind of magnetism this guy has, but it is fierce. Some some kind of magnetism? He, some kind of. So he's got some charm. He starts to study law, thinking that law will be the way I can be a success. Things in Dominican Republic are crap. And the current government at the time that is way incompetent will fall to the future up-and-coming dictator, Rafael Trujillo. Trujillo is a former guard from the sugarcane fields. And hey, good for the U.S. Marines. They trained Trujillo right on up to start his own murderous regime. I was going to say, I've heard of Trujillo, and I mm-hmm. it doesn't, off the top of my head, it's not like, ooh, a flowering of democracy no, in the Dominican Republic. Okay. He's going to institute a 31-year reign of terror. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, Trujillo insists on being called benefactor and father of the new fatherland. Yikes. Not weird at all. Okay. So no worries. 1932 is going to happen. And here comes scandal number one with our boy. Ruby meets Trujillo at a polo match. And Trujillo is just as charmed as all the women are. General's like, what are you doing with yourself, kid? Ruby's like, I'm going to be a lawyer. And the general's like, nah, bro, I got you in the presidential guard. That's what you're going to be. And Trujillo fits Ruby for a uniform, which really does turn on the ladies. So, like, Ruby's in. One of Ruby's first assignments is picking up the 17-year-old daughter of Daddy Dictator. This will go well. Her name is Flora de Oro, and she is returning home after studying in France, and old Flora is going to be picked up that day in a lot of ways. Could I ask for a translation? Because that's flower of... Flower of gold. Flower of Flower gold. of gold. So delusional dictator daddy really has high hopes. High for, hopes for, for everyone. his flower of gold. Okay. Well, flower of gold takes one look at Ruby and <laughs> she's hooked. Look at my flower. Yeah. She invites Ruby to a ball at the presidential palace, and they dance every dance at that ball together, which mm. is not done in society. How's Daddy feel about his new? Well, Daddy Dictator's pretty pissed, and he decommissions Ruby, hmm. who immediately goes into hiding. Good call. For eight days. You did say reign of terror. For eight days. It's a terrible time. Oh, eight days. Eight days. Oh, he's probably down to his last can of tuna Oh my gosh, it's a, terri- it's a terrible time. Gosh. Floor sends a note to him. It's all very cloak and dagger. James Bond. It is. It's very cloak and dagger. <laughs> and Ruby needs to be at the phone booth at a certain time. And she calls and tells Ruby that she has told her father that she is going to marry that boy. And Floor proposes to Ruby, and Ruby accepts. Wow. Daddy Dictator. I mean, what do you do? Will declare their wedding day as a national holiday. I was gonna say. And the couple, like, is happy enough. Ruby is the son that Daddy Dictator's always wanted. And Ruby will do all of Daddy Dictator's dirty business with the license to kill. 
Three years later, Ruby's dispatched to his first diplomatic post. He heads out to Berlin. And Ruby is an excellent diplomat. Trujillo supports his choice. He says about Ruby, he's an excellent diplomat because women like him and because he's a liar. <laughs> so, okay, so sorry. He's in, he's in Berlin probably in the mid-30s or it's something? 1936. Okay. Wait, wait for it. Fantastic. So by 1936. Excellent timing. He's appointed diplomat for Dominican Republic. He's traveling the world with diplomatic immunity that lets him do whatever he wants. He even attends the infamous 1936 Olympics in Berlin and sat in Hitler's personal box at the ceremony. See, some of those old pictures you don't want to be in the background of. (laughs) Okay, so we've mentioned about Ruby and women. Women like him a little too much. By the time that Ruby gets transferred to Paris in 1937, the next year, his wife, Valore, heads back home and recalls later in life about what went wrong. She says, he was living it up in Paris. He was out every night and would come home at dawn covered with lipstick. Hmm. I was so jealous. When I asked him where he was, he beat me. Uh, What? Not a good guy. Not a good guy. Daddy dictator. This is the best part. Floor comes home and he has words of chastisement for Floor. Ah, uh, blame. Why the, the hell did you marry a playboy? Mm-hmm. You got you got what you deserved. Wow. Yeah. All right. But so. Daddy dictator will agree to a divorce for the couple. Now, don't worry about Floor too much. She will proceed to take eight more husbands throughout her life. But she's not done in this story. We're going to see her again in a hot minute. Okay. Does she, um, I mean, is she like some kind of mantis and she, she eats their heads? During, like, that's a lot of marriages. I mean, we cover people who have a lot of spouses over the course of their lives. Eight's a lot, though. Oh, this story is just jam-packed. Just wait. All right. All in all. Out of those other eight husbands that Floor will have, Ruby fares better with Daddy Dictator than anybody else does. Oh, I see. So maybe she doesn't eat their heads, but someone does. (laughs) (laughs) Ruby's going to be back in love soon. But for the first year after his divorce, Daddy Dictator's pretty pissed. And he is unable to return to the Dominican Republic because, I mean, Daddy Dictator wants him dead. Like, real dead. Ruby's flat broke. He will start selling Dominican visas to Jewish folk who want to get the fuck out of Europe. Oh, also, there's some jewel smuggling. So that's fun, too. Interesting. in the thick of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, on the one hand, the opportunism at the root of it sucks. But hey, at least he probably got a bunch of people to safety. For sure. Complicated. Complicated. Okay. So Daddy Dictator, after the year of Ruby's exile, is maybe missing his extraordinary diplomatic and lying skills right because daddy dictator calls him like a year later and he asks ruby to escort his wife and son who are coming to paris i'm sorry has he met (laughs) porfirio ruby rosa this time it goes better is he aware of what happened with his daughter (laughs) this time it does go better his uh trujillo's kid ramphus is 10 and he's a brat he is already a general in the army. Oh. Yeah. At 10. At 10. So it's a merit-based system. Totally. Okay. So Ruby actually, I guess, because he does want to get in good graces back with Daddy Dictator, he does a top-notch job this time. 
And this visit goes so well with Mrs. Daddy Dictator and the son that Daddy Dictator is back the next month to have Ruby show him around Paris. (laughs) (laughs) Ruby takes his job so seriously that he hooks up Trujillo with a gal on the actual Eiffel Tower. Interesting. Just playing sex for him all over the city in different locales of sure. imports. Pretty cool. Uh, it goes so well that Ruby is appointed commercial attaché for France the next month. Like uh, the DR's commercial attaché to France. Correct. Okay. Correct. Correct. In reviewing the actual files, Ruby doesn't actually appear to do much work in an office or an embassy. He His job appears to be like schmoozing the upper crust, the rich, the society for Daddy Dictator. Ooh, and Ruby loves the nightlife. He likes to boogie. So Ruby apparently has such a way with the women. They find him irresistible. This is his move. He's the guy that when you're with him, you are the only woman in the world. To be honest, that move works pretty well. I was going to say, he's not the only one with that move. And uh... Okay, but, but Ruby adds on, because his other big move is to send a single rose to the lady after meeting. Just one rose with a card that says, to the most beautiful of women. I think it goes without saying, Ruby gets laid a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. But, like, he's kind of cheap. One rose. <laughs> Can't spring for the dozen. So let's skip it on up to one night in 1940. Ruby is invited to a cocktail party where he meets the most famous and highest paid movie star in France. Her name is Danielle Derieux. At the end of the party, the host is like, hey, Ruby, you live on the same street as Danielle. Can you drive her home? And and Ruby's like, yeah, sure. Ruby and Danielle leave and a fellow guest pulls Danielle over and says... That man is dangerous. Yeah, careful with that one. Yeah, he's a wolf in wolf's clothing. <laughs> dangerous as he was, they will marry in 1942. Sure. And <laughs> auspicious beginnings. Be careful. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to marry that boy. Ring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Danielle is kind of known for her support of the Nazis. But at he this sent time. me a rose. <laughs> it's bad. One day in Paris, because Danielle is a Nazi supporter. Mm, great. She and Ruby are ambushed in a car one day. Like, bullets hit the car. Three bullets hit him as he throws his body across Danielle. You know, gotta say, that's A-plus conduct when your car is being fired upon. Complicated guy. After this, the couple's like, maybe we need to get out of Paris. Maybe, yeah. So they do, and they totally move to the countryside and go green fucking acres. Ruby becomes a gentleman farmer. He has a cow. Two pigs and six sheep. Just out in rural France? Okay. Guests, when they come to visit, will bring cognac and weapons. (laughs) It's the colorful things. Lawyers, guns, and money, man. Okay. So after the war, Ruby is transferred to Italy by Daddy Dictator. Because Daddy Dictator has some missions to do over here. But just a fun thing. Also in this time, Ruby is going to meet old Joe Kennedy. Just put a post-it note in that. So Ruby's in Italy. Danielle, his wife, soon follows. And remember, like, she's a French movie star. So the day after her arrival, there is a reporter there to interview her for Harper's Bazaar. 
That reporter, remarkably enough, her name is Doris Duke. And she is heiress to about 100 million smackaroos of the American tobacco fortune and doing a brief stint as a journalist because it is a weird world. Okay. Ruby later remembers, the three of us had breakfast. She, Doris Duke, seemed lively, jovial, and with that je ne sais quoi that American women can have. Little did I know that a few months later, I would be completely controlled by her. Until then, I had been happy with Danielle, but at this moment, things started to change. But it turns out Danielle did not have a hundred million smackaroos. Ruby's polo-playing friend, Gerard Bonnet, says that Doris Duke sends Ruby a telegram following their first encounter. And it says, when you are finished with Danielle, call me and I will come. Ruby must have been encouraging because Doris Duke will soon write again, arriving immediately. <laughs> Stephanie Mansfield, who is the author of the 1992 biography of Doris Duke, The Richest Girl in the World, says this about Doris. She loved him, no question in my mind. He was the only one who was genuine in his pursuit of her. He didn't pretend to be anything but a gold digger or gigolo. <laughs> There was no manipulation about it. And with Ruby, what you saw is what you got. Duke was in her mid-30s, the richest woman in the world, but not that attractive and couldn't have children. The love of her life, British MP Alec Cunningham Reed, had just left to serve in the war. Here comes Ruby, the international man of mystery. Ruby was really a fuck you to her mother. They had warned her about men being after the money. Everyone is stunned by this match. One friend explains that Doris, she was ugly, very rich, but ugly. But he was a gentleman. He would never say that. It is rumored that Doris Duke, who was used to paying for the beautiful things in life, gives Danielle, wife number two, $1 million to bow out to of her marriage with Ruby. Away. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, you you want what you want. And if you have that much money... Well, Danielle does. Danielle bows out. The marriage ends, marriage number two ends in 1947. And right on the heels of that, September 1st, 1947, Ruby and Doris marry in Paris. I mean, it's a romantic city. (laughs) Here's the crazy part. I mean, the whole story is crazy, but this part is really, whoa. Whoa. Doris's wealth is so vast that the U.S. government creates her prenup agreement. When they bring it to Ruby to sign before the wedding, he's just like a Department of State lawyer is sitting there with like a... The U.S. government has drawn it up to give to her lawyers and Ruby gets a load of this piece of paper and sees the amount of her wealth and he faints. (laughs) Another story is he gets loaded on booze and passes out after the ceremony. Either way, big boy passes out. Okay. So government prenup. That's amazing. Ruby is going to do okay from this two-year marriage. Like, was the fear that if he somehow, like, was entitled to $50 million that would disrupt the banking system or something? Like, Well, he's also a, you know, foreign national. Sure. He... 
is the former son-in-law of a damn dictator. Sure. Yeah, I can imagine the government is going to want to have their they can't want yeah it's all over that can't want him expropriating 50 million dollars okay okay don't call him a gold digger see in the (laughs) in the computer age you can move however much money you want around without it impacting anything that's what i'm told there is no bitcoin (laughs) but what ruby does get is straight up a check for half a million dollars a stable of polo ponies Hmm. Multiple sports cars, a B-52 bomber, because oh. everybody needs one of those I around. Mean, well, I mean, I'm sure the government had surplus after the war. Like, and, yeah, we'll yeah. Just, yeah, here's your gift. Tell Trujillo we said hello. Right. There's also a 17th century three-story home in Perry, hmm. decorated in Louis the 15th and Louis the 16th pieces. Okay. It's they not could, a bad life. They couldn't pick one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a nice house, but it's kind of all over the place architecturally. This is this is just the marriage part. They haven't yeah, even done the They're divorce not settlement yet. yet. Yeah. No. So Daddy Dictator is really impressed by all of this. And he's like, wow, as a son, you can spy for me in a whole new set of people now. Where do you want to go? And Ruby is like, I like the ponies in Argentina. I hear they're great. Let's go there. So Ruby... Sent to Argentina, now cozying up with his new good friend, Juan Perón, dictator of Argentina. And oh yeah, he'll seduce his wife, Ava, in the meantime. Mm. Good times. Doris Duke hates Latin America. She's like, I'm out of here. She heads back to Paris. They live separately for a while, but we'll have this thing where they reunite in exotic locales all over the world. I mean, if you're going to have sort of a sham but fun marriage like that's not the worst way but you're married to porfirio ruby rosa hold on so one night in capri doris walks in on ruby you want to take a guess well in who bed was doing some... it with oh mm. flower of gold really there's yeah ex-wife number one floor and ruby and this is the straw awkward that uh broke doris duke's back done she's done <laughs> doris is out. Yeah. And Ruby will say, there was a new lunch guest. By his looks and his briefcase, he immediately revealed his identity. Sure. An attorney. Three minutes later, we signed an agreement. <laughs> the marriage had lasted less than two years. Wow. They are divorced in 1951. Okay. And, and is that like, that was just a fling with his first wife? Is she, does she stick around in the story? Or? They're gonna, no, I think that's, I don't think we see her anymore. Okay. okay. Interesting. So Ruby now has a house in Paris and $25,000 a year until he remarries. So there is something here to Ruby's uh, staying power. When Doris Duke dies in 1993, there are two photos by her bedside. One is of her current boyfriend and the other is of Ruby. Oh. Ruby's asked later. Why did you even marry her anyway? And he says, what I did is better than most people do. They go out with a girl from a good family. They take all her money. Then they leave her. The difference with me is that I marry her, give her the best time in all the world. And when I leave her, she is richer than ever before. <laughs> he thinks highly of himself. He, I was 
Yeah, I was trying to figure out a nice way to say Hold that. Hold on. No, it gets better. Okay. So Ruby's single yet again. He's living the life every day, waking up at noon in Argentina, playing polo. Sure. Okay. Ruby will treat his skin multiple times a day with honey. Sticky. Oh, yeah. He's drinking like a bottle of scotch a day, too. Good. That's like a health tonic, I hear. Perfect. Ruby does a lot of time at this place called Jimmy's Disco in Paris, which is owned by the legendary Regine. She says, when he came in, everything changed like magic. Well, yeah, because there were like ants and bees following him because he's covered in honey and he's drunk on scotch. Like all of a sudden, women were on fire. It was everything. It was the ants. His eyes, his hair. He never went running after the women. The women were throwing themselves at him. They would even pull him into the ladies' room. He was a victim, not a gigolo. Okay. He was a victim, Stacy. How many sheets do you think this guy went through with multiple daily treatments of honey for his skin? No idea. What a mess. No idea. I mean, it said like he treats his skin better than any woman. That's what, you know. Sure. Okay. Fire ants, man. So by 1952, in addition to the fire ant problem, <laughs> Ruby has a little cash and decides to finance and participate in a treasure hunt in Jamaica. Scuba diving for sunken ships and Spanish galleons. Gotcha. So, okay. Cool. He's a pirate. In between Doris, Duke, and but, his next marriage. But this is what he was doing with Ian Fleming? Like, Ian yeah. Fleming was part of this crew? Okay. Yeah, they're diving for Spanish galleons with scuba. Whatever. Yeah. In between Doris and his next marriage, Ruby is getting around. He will be named in no less than three divorce suits. Just in 1953 and 1954 alone. <laughs> Yikes. The first is brought by golf champ Robert Sweeney Jr. against his wife. That's one. Number two, he's also betting <laughs> this lady named Mariana Reynolds, who is very unhappily married to R.J. Reynolds, Tobacco King. Mm. And Duke's money was a tobacco fortune? Yes, but she's American tobacco, not Reynolds. It's a no, different no, I know, fortune. but like, I guess that was a giant wealth creator at the time but ruby goes where the money is man okay so here's what happens is that it turns out wherever the reynolds yacht is ruby's boat just follows in the harbor right after him what is it like a remora eel to the shark what (laughs) marianne will later like on her deathbed recall her reasoning for the affair I was standing on the deck of one of the largest boats in the world, wearing a beautiful designer gown and some of the world's best jewelry. But I was a prisoner on that yacht because every night by five, your father had passed out. And when Ruby kept calling me, asking me to dinner in the casino, by God, I went. Yeah. And she says this to like her kid. The fair lasts exactly long enough to be consummated in Paris. And R.J. Reynolds to hire a detective who catches the couple Hmm. in flagrante delecto. And the whole scandalous affair is outed by gossip columnist Walter Winchell Hmm. and names Ruby in the divorce, which saves R.J. some cash Hmm. on the back end. Can I just ask a question? Mm -hmm. Presumably this guy did have some sort of day job for his government. How on earth did he find the time? He's licensed to kill. He goes and does Daddy Dictator's business all over the world and feeds information back to him. It's a good job if you can get it. Apparently. 
I bathe in honey. I drink scotch all day. Ride polo ponies and fuck. It's awesome. Date other people's wives. It's fine. I feel like there are too few of these positions available to the average college graduate. (laughs) What do you major in for this? Okay, the third time that he's going to be named is in the trashy divorce of the absolute queen of trashy divorces. Nine time marrier, Zsa Zsa Gabor. I was going to say, that's got to be Zsa Zsa Gabor. There's a divorce suit where he is named with the third husband that she has, an actor named George Sanders. But who can keep trash? (laughs) Well, like, Zsa Zsa is a marry for money. Like, she will play sex for money all day long. So she and Ruby... Oh, sure. They're the same type. That's that's who they are. So Ruby has a lot of side pieces. Had a hopper. We'll write about him. He wraps his charm around your shoulders like a Russian sable coat. Specific. Zsa could be a one and done thing, but it ends up that she's going to be way more significant. Zsa is also a fellow Aquarius. And again, Aquarius and Aquarius do really well together. In 1953, Ruby and Zsa meet in an elevator at the Plaza Hotel in New York. The attraction is instant. Zsa wakes up from her nap, and Mr. One Rose Man has filled her entire room with flowers and a card that reads, Uh-oh. Don Porfirio Ruby Rosa, Minister Plenipotentiary of the Dominican Republic, plus the magic words to the most beautiful of women. <clears throat> Sorry, I... I'm sure that never got old. For did I say plenipotentiary, right? You did. Okay, awesome. Woo! Trujillo! Mm-hmm. Plenipotentiary! Yeah. Yes. Okay, Ruby is relentless in his pursuit of Zsa Zsa Gabor. They are all over each other. Husband number three be damned. Zsa Zsa will move in with Ruby in Paris. Her daughter, Zsa Zsa's daughter, Francesca Hilton will say he really loved my mother and wanted to marry her. He was also insanely jealous. He had this mentality with my mother of, you are mine, I own you. Zsa's husband, George Sanders, right. is going to file for divorce. Good, good, good. Zsa heads to Las Vegas, where she's appearing at the Last Frontier Hotel, and Ruby follows her to Vegas. Gives her an ultimatum. You need to divorce George and marry me and Zsa is torn. And Ruby in a pretty dick move because Zsa doesn't immediately fall into his charm. Hits her. Ooh. She which, shows up at... Which he's done before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, Zsa shows up at rehearsal the next morning with an eye patch. She tells reporters that she has jilted him. She says in Spanish, Ruby Rosa means red rose, but to me, it is a black eye. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so props to her, though? Well, no. Oh. Not not yet. The headline in the New York Daily News says, quote, I said no, so Porphy poked me. Ja, ja. Okay. But then, wait, no, she's not done, because this is where it gets bad. She says the fact that he hit me proves that he loves me. A woman who has never been hit by a man has never been loved. So that's complicated. I would like to be launched into space now. So it's it's Ben. Ruby is rejected 
He consoles himself to the polo fields where, never worry about Ruby for too long, he will meet 40-year-old, the other richest heiress in the universe, Barbara Hutton, who has also been married herself four times now. Ruby says about Barbara Hutton, She's a frail beauty, someone who is smart, cultivated, sensible, and whose company I enjoyed more and more. Mildred Ricart recalls things a little differently. She says Barbara called him when he was at the bar in the Haragua Hotel in Santo Domingo. She said, you married Doris, now it's my turn. Ruby had just admitted to us that he was broke, so he said to Barbara on the phone, okay, you set the date. Let's do just another little bit of trash candy here. Doris Duke and Barbara Hutton at the time are collectively known as the Gold Dust Twins. So Ruby is aiming not for one, but for two, for both of the world's richest women. I ain't saying he's a gold digger. All right. Hutton's biographer, C. David Heyman, says, Even though Barbara was friends with Doris, there was a kind of rivalry. By marrying Ruby, she was trying to outdo Doris. And for Ruby, it was simply a business arrangement. And friends, it really was a business arrangement. The deed is done with Barbara Hutton in a black dress, carrying not a bridal bouquet of flowers, but a scotch and soda. (laughs) They get hitched December 1953. Okay, Zsa Zsa, never to be outdone, ever vigilant in her talking to reporters, says, see how unhappy they look. I give them six months. In a couple of weeks, this man will be after me again. Which is probably more prophetic than you know. Ruby and Barbara last for 53 days. They will divorce February 20th, 1954. Like, are they enemies after this? Or is this one of those, like, they wake up a couple months later like, wow, this is fun, but really not how I want to live. And part on, like, how does this work? For people who get married this many times. Like, do you bother going through the process of being, like, hurt and angry? Or have you done that enough that you're just like, eh, not my thing, it turns out. I don't... You should listen to this podcast called Trashy Divorces. It answers (laughs) all of these questions and more. So technically, Mm -hmm. we're done with Ruby's Trashy Divorces. Ruby is going to cost Barbara Hutton for their 53-day marriage about $66,000 a day when it's all said and done. Wow. Okay. It's a pricey guy. But let's tie up a few little loose ends. Update on Zsa Zsa's third husband, George Sanders. Don't feel too bad for him. He will go on to win an Oscar for his performance in the movie All About Eve. He will also have an affair with Doris Duke at the time. So that's pretty fun. And when he divorces Zsa he's going to go on to marry her sister Magda. So lots of love all around for that guy. Speaking of lots of love, Ruby is rumored to have bedded thousands of women. Like, Wilt Chamberlain got nothing on Ruby Rosa. Little list. Some of the other women that Ruby has connected to that we have not talked about. Right. In this story. I mean, you can't marry everyone. But have talked about in other episodes or will be talking about in the future. 
Dolores Del Rio, Eartha Kitt, Marilyn Monroe, Ava Gardner, Maria Montez, Rita Hayworth, Dorothy Dandridge, Lupe Velez, Peggy Hopkins-Joyce, Joan Crawford, Veronica Lake, Kim Novak, and Judy Garland. That's uh, an exhaustive list. So Ruby post-divorce. Frida Kahlo in there? Like... She's the one I don't have. Okay. So Ruby post-divorce is on the Win Zsa back train. And along the way, he's going to meet a very pretty 17-year-old girl named Odile Rodin. And after a whirlwind summer spent mostly naked on the Riviera, they will marry in October of 1956. They will stay married to the end of his life. But here's a little bit of poetic justice, because now Ruby is a little older, right? And he's married to a teenager who is also a ferocious nightclubber. Hmm. She will often skip off to Paris in the arms of one of her many male admirers. Mm-hmm. Ruby will stay home reliving his country gentleman farmer thing. Sure, with his with cane. The, well, he tends the garden and plays with his chihuahua. <laughs> Which sounds lovely, to be honest. Not a bad life. Uh, just a few more things. Ruby's going to continue to uh, pimp out for Trujillo even after Daddy Dictator's death in 1961. He'll just switch to pimping for, remember, bratty 10-year-old general dictator kid? Sure. Oh, so He's grown up. You're saying he grows up to himself be a bratty dictator? Correct. Okay. Who could have guessed that? I didn't see it coming. (laughs) Now Ruby is pimping for son of Daddy Dictator Brat. And in 1961, on a little boat called the Honey Fitz, sailing around Hyannisport, Ruby is with Jack Kennedy and Jackie Kennedy and Ted Kennedy and Patricia Kennedy Lawford trying to sell Jack Kennedy on the many glories of Ramphis, dictator oh, oh, son. Sure, sure. It does not work. Really? No, it does not. It is reported, however... That Ruby is eyeing old Pat Kennedy because she is on the outs from Peter Lawford at this time. As covered a few weeks ago. Okay, I've actually managed to make it through this entire story without talking about the fact that Ruby is rumored to have an 11-inch attache. Mm. And if you are dining in the great country of France and... Ask the garçon for a pepper mill. For fresh pepper. He or she, the garçon, would be bringing you the pepper mill, which is called a Ruby Rosa in France. Why is that? (laughs) 11 inches. Hmm. Okay. Pepper mill is called a Ruby Rosa in France. It's just a little fun tidbit. As we wrap up this tale... Ruby, sadly, will die July 5th, 1965, at the age of 56. Hmm. His silver Ferrari 250 GT crashes into a tree after an all-night celebration at Jimmy's Disco after winning the Polo Coupe de France. I mean, he went the way he lived, even wife number five. I was going to say, so he was killed in a drunk driving accident. Even wife number five says he would be delighted and satisfied with his end. I mean... It is, it is hard to argue with that. I can't get any it trashier. Sort of epitomizes live fast, die young. I, I can't get any trashier than that, mm-hmm. man. So for the 
multiple trashy divorces, trashy life, trashy side piece, James Bond life of Porfirio Rubirosa. I award him 66,000 trash cans. The cost per day of the Barbara Hutton divorce. Mm-hmm. But all of those trash cans are 11 inches high. 66,000 11 inch trash cans. All right. Full, full of full of flaming pepper. Yes. Oh, and fire ants. Oh, yeah. And fire ants. And, and fire honey. Ants. Honey and fire ants and sunken Spanish galleons. That's how you get ants, man. I don't even know. Ba-boom. That is Porfirio Rubirosa who stalked me all of 2019. I couldn't get away from his story. It's so good. It's so weird because I've legitimately never heard of him until you started. famous guy you've never heard of. Talking about him, yeah. But look who he's connected to in every uh-huh. single person that we've... Yeah. No, that's amazing. Stacy. He was a victim, not a gigolo. Not a gigolo. That's probably what it says on his tombstone, too. But <laughs> it's in Spanish, so it sounds way better. It just says Casanova. All right. Let's take a quick break, and we are coming back with... Something that I don't think ties up with the Rat Pack much at all. So there we go. It's, that's life. That's life. Let's do it. Cool. Cue the music. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, but that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disentel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disentel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. So, Stacey, you're bringing to us today one of our most often requested divorces for the Trashy Divorces Loop. Mm -hmm. I am, yes. Who have you got? (laughs) Sorry, I thought there was going to be more to it. No, this is one one we get asked for a lot. I, I am, in fact. I have 
the story of Halle Berry, who once upon a time was married to Atlanta Brave David Justice. She was. And it didn't go well. Not at all. Not really. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. Yeah, so... That's how you get ants. uh, That is how you get (laughs) ants. I think you're going to love this until you don't. So this is the story of former Atlanta Brave Dave Justice, who for several years was married to actress Halle Berry. And for a while, they made their home up in Sandy Springs, back when that just denoted a stretch of Roswell Road. Now they've all gone and declared themselves an actual place. And Anyway, the 90s. It's a different time. It's more innocent. All right, so here's the first thing that I think you're going to love. Let me let me tell you about some birth dates. Both of these oh, kids fantastic. are Do born it. in 1966, right? Okay, Same year. Okay. Dave is born on April 14th, so yeah. he's, he's Aries a little baby. fiery Aries baby. Hallie, fire. Mm-hmm. Hallie is born August 14th. Ooh, she's a Simri Leo. So Simri Leo, yeah. So they're pretty pretty explosive in our uh, little yeah, fire. astrology. Yeah, that Aries Leo is going to be tough. Yeah. How does this go? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, so well. I mean, this is trashy divorces, so let's uh, let's buckle up. How about that? So I'm going to just introduce, give a little background on these crazy kids. So this really, like when this happened, it really did seem like they were a perfect fit. I will say that. Okay. Oh, we were all rooting for them. Yes, because we had long since stopped rooting for Dave Justice, as I'll get into. David Justice, it turns out, started out life kind of as a badass. He grew up in Cincinnati, he was always athletic, and he was a big deal as a basketball player in high school and college. He was gifted academically, he was accepted into an accelerated Catholic high school at the age of 12. Oh, wow. Skipped a couple grades, graduated when he was just 16, and he was the all-time leading basketball scorer during his time in high school. Holy cats. Before That's the great. Before the age of 16. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. So talented guy. Goes to college playing basketball, and as fate would have it, basketball is a really athletic sport, and Dave Justice is pretty lazy and didn't like running laps, didn't like didn't like all the training that went with practice, right? Just okay. Was not for I just for want it. the glory. Basically, okay. yeah. I just want to shoot hoops. I don't want to work that hard. Lift weights and do yeah, do exercise all the time, whatever. So After practice one day, his college coach is like, all right, gentlemen, I will see you in three miles. Have a good day. And sends them off to to do their daily run. And Dave Justice starts out his little run, looks over to his right, notices baseball tryouts are happening. (laughs) He just leaves the group. (laughs) Zoom over to baseball tryouts where he wowed the coach. And uh, are you was... gonna, did he ask, are you going to make me run three miles a day? Because <laughs> it's baseball. No one makes you run. You only have to run if you can hit the ball. <laughs> Let's work on your hitting skills first. <laughs> yeah. And this is how Dave Justice became a college baseball superstar, kind of. I mean, he was apart. really, yes, he was really, really good at it. And I think that we owe it to ourselves to take a moment to reflect on all of the many gifts that laziness can confer on a person. True that. Okay. Let's have a moment to honor laziness. The next time you feel motivated, listener, (laughs) rethink that. (laughs) Okay. So 1985, the Braves pick him up. He's in the minors for a few years. 
makes his major league debut with the Braves in 89. First full season is in 1990, where he becomes Rookie of the Year with 28 home runs. Whoa. Boom. Boom, boom. So as luck would have it for David Justice, in 1991, the Braves opted to sort of take a different approach than they'd been taking for a while, in that they decided to stop sucking at baseball. It was um, a magical time when they was, decided to stop sucking at baseball. It was kind of a magical time when they decided to stop sucking at baseball. It really was great. Yeah, so Bobby Cox takes over as the manager in 1990, breathes some life into a team that had been pretty moribund for like a decade. <laughs> This team was so, I mean, it was just, it was useless for Atlanta to have a baseball team in the 80s, basically. Well, there's no need to be harsh. Okay. You had some great baseball heroes in that time. Dale Murphy. It's true. Bruce Benedict. They may have sucked, but they're loyal to my heart and there's no need to be mean. No, the team sucked. There were definitely excellent individual players on the team. Just... no Tamper one. down your glee a little with the suckiness of the Braves. No one brought it. It's my team in the 80s. Okay. Meanwhile, <laughs> you know, they started grooming some up-and-coming pitchers. So Tom Glavin and John Smoltz joined the group. Chipper Jones uh, came in after the 90 MLB draft. So, you know, the raw in Bobby Cox is cooking a baseball stew. He's gathering up his ingredients and he's... See, you know, he's dropping them in in just the right proportion over... Anyway, whatever. Put your peeps in my baseball chili. Exactly. I'm going to stop with that metaphor. That's just weird. Okay. (laughs) So I can certainly remember what happened next. I think a lot of people do. The Braves went from worst to first. They were a national sensation. The crowd goes wild. They battled their way to the National League Championship and beat the Pittsburgh Pirates. They went on to the World Series where they lost to the Minnesota Twins in seven games. And I think both teams that year were worst to first stories. It was like, it was cool. It was an exciting era for baseball. Dave Justice spent 1991 letting his head grow a bit. He developed this increasingly diva-esque image, managed to roundly piss off his teammates, sports reporters, the public. That's how you get ants. Yeah. He pulls into spring training in 1991 in a Mercedes Benz, which is fine, with a vanity plate that read Sweet Swing, which is starting to push it a bit. And as he steps out of the car, he is covered in gold jewelry, which there's a fine line between newly rich and douchey. He was way over that line. He's the new flower of gold. So he gets some unflattering write-ups in the sports media, and there are blind quotes from his teammates who just trash the new and definitely not improved Dave Justice. It is gross. He is unhappy. Kicks off 92 with a contract dispute with the team and, like, basically refuses to show up for picture day. What? He will not suit up in uniform for picture day. He's... I, I don't even know. I don't hey, even... diary of a third grader. Yeah. What the hell is that? I'm not going to show up for picture day. Yeah. Yeah, hurt yourself, buddy. Exactly. So eventually, one of his teammates takes him aside and is like, look. Dude. This is how you earn your living. If you like being a rich guy, like, you can get your shit together. And if you don't want to do that, I will go and help you pack your bags. Because this is not how this needs to work. So... You know, Dave Justice. Gets his shit together. He starts thinking about getting his shit together. The damage he had done to his public persona was real. 
And, you know, this guy, like, when he gets announced at games, and again, I mean, the city of Atlanta had sort of been not that into its baseball team for a long time. Now it was like a winning team with good chances of going all the way. So people were fired up. And so anyway, like the stadium suddenly full. And when he gets announced, people boo. He's a bad boy. He's a bad boy of the Mm -hmm. Braves. Yeah. Like he hated Atlanta. Atlanta hated him. (laughs) There were people, people would bring homemade banners to the park. They just said trade justice. (sighs) Oh, uh, there was a radio station that had a spoof of John Lennon's Imagine made with Imagine No Dave Justice. It's easy if you try. Aww. I mean, he really like he wouldn't um, stay to sign autographs for fans. He was one of those. Right. Yeah, You have to do like that's part of the gig. Yeah. Just yeah. Part of the gig. I know there are some athletes who are like, well, they just get sold on eBay. And I'm sure that's kind of where he was. But everybody was like, dude, lighten up. Like, so some of your autographs get sold on eBay. Like, who cares? They're also kids kids and sign their baseballs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Dave Justice trying to figure out how to kind of get back on track and just be a baseball player and not a baseball villain and all that. Gets a visit from a childhood buddy of his. And this guy had grown up to be a journalist. And he's bragging to Dave, like, hey, I scored an interview with Halle Berry. And Justice is like, whoa, why don't you uh hook a hook a brother up? Yeah, why don't could you could you get a picture for me? Oh. Like, something like that. Well, would you would you let her sign my baseball? <laughs> so when he sees his friend again, the friend does not have a picture to give him. He has Halle Berry's phone number. Oh, mm-hmm. Digits. Hmm. So we're going to at this moment park Dave Justice the most hated baseball player in Atlanta at the Trashy Divorces Depot Okay, and hop over to Halle Berry, who is a fellow Ohioan born and raised in Cleveland. Her mother was a nurse at a psychiatric hospital and her mother is white and her father was a porter at the same hospital and her father is black and it was the sixties. So when they married her white mother's parents cut off all contact with the family. Cool, cool, cool. Not at all. Kind of adding insult to injury, I think. Uh, the marriage didn't even last. Uh, her dad developed some, it, it sounds like a pretty intense alcoholism. There was a little domestic violence. And oh, no. Anyway, so he was out when she was pretty young. So the family lived in a black neighborhood, but it was a weird fit because mom was white. And for a while, some asshole in the neighborhood just took delight in leaving Oreo cookies in their mailbox. <sighs> yeah, just shitty. Just That said, yeah, despite, you know, crap, um, Hallie was a great student. She was editor of the school newspaper. She was a cheerleader. She was class president as a teenager. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. There was no stopping her. So she entered some beauty pageants. She became Miss Teen All-American in 85, Miss Ohio USA in 86. In 1989, when a fresh-faced Dave Justice was suiting up in his first Braves uniform, Hallie moved to New York City to become an actor. Fantastic. It went the way you'd expect. She ran out of money. Mm. She spent some time in a homeless shelter. But ultimately, she was cast in some things. So 91 was the year she landed on the map in the entertainment universe. Like, their their careers really are, at this point, very... Aligned, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, they were born the same year, so it kind of makes sense. But anyway, she lands a part in Spike Lee's Jungle Fever. 
And then she co-starred in the comedy Strictly Business in 91. So 1992, she is filming uh, an adaptation of Alex Haley's Queen. Flipping channels, just like, you know, in her trailer or whatever, like not at work and flipping channels. And she comes across a celebrity baseball game on MTV. Oh, my. This is the first time she sees David Justice. (laughs) I'm going to marry that boy. That is. Is that what she says? She immediately (gasps) is like, how can I get the studio to send me to Atlanta? Nice. To do, what can I do at a Braves game so I can meet David Justice? What what can I happen to do? So she is already distracted. Twitter paid By the little man she saw on the television. <laughs> and then this reporter pops up to do an interview and happens to mention, hey, by the way, I grew up with David Justice and I was talking to him before I came out to it's see like you. It's like the fates are intervening. And yeah, he asked if I could like bring a picture of you back for Would him because he's baseball. a big fan. And what? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, uh, actually, I love him. And here's my number. <gasps> and it begins. Mm-hmm. So he calls. He's uh, driving home from practice, I believe. Calls her from his car phone, which back in the Remember when there were car phones and not just everybody had a phone with them at all times? Oh, for sure. He had a specialized car phone. Well, yeah, that's what you did. If your car's name is what? Sporty Swinger? What is it called? Sweet Swing. There you go. (laughs) I think it was. Uh, (laughs) So he calls her from his car and they talk for four hours. What? I'm assuming um, he did at some point hang up the car phone and went inside his house and called her from the house phone. Those minutes were expensive. In early ninety dollars, no, he's in a car phone. Yeah. He's got it. If he'll just show, he had up for, to get on a really good cellular plan. If he'll, he'll just show up for picture day, he's fine. <laughs> this phone call was in um, February of ninety two. They were married in Atlanta just after midnight on January first, nineteen ninety three. Whoa, fast! Yeah, months, months. You want to talk about going from worst to first, let's talk about the psychic makeover of Dave Justice after meeting and marrying Halle Berry. In a Sports Illustrated interview in 1994, he goes on and on about fate and predestination and how he's gotten where he is because it was meant to be, and a variety of negative outcomes were just not meant to be, which strikes me as one of those extra douchey opinions you hold when you are signed to a $27.5 million five-year contract. And your gorgeous spouse is a rising star in Hollywood, but it is clear that suddenly he was experiencing things like gratitude and the weeest bit of self-reflection and good for him was just too distracted by being happy to be an asshole all the time. So it's amazing how that works. Yeah. Hallie, meanwhile, told Sports Illustrated that she was stunned by how hated he was in Atlanta and was like, David, you're a great guy. You should maybe let the fans know that. No. So he ditched the vanity license plate and stopped wearing all the gold jewelry. And like, again, this guy was, he was like 23 and suddenly like mega rich and famous. And so of course he kind of went off the deep end. People are stupid at that age. All right. He starts signing autographs for the fans and he's answering questions from reporters. And he just stopped trying to antagonize everyone close to him. Well, how'd the charm offensive go? The bad boy rep faded. He continued delivering at bat, which I think is probably the most important part of his his remodel, (laughs) of his redesign of his life. And the Braves continued having amazing 
baseball seasons. So all of that helps. People Magazine noticed the change. And when ranking Dave as one of its 50 most beautiful people in 94, the magazine noted that he had, quote, turned down the attitude meter and then quoted Hallie talking about what great legs he has. He's quoted as saying, I checked my face to make sure there's nothing sticking to it, but I don't make sure every hair's in place. <laughs> I like the look on your face here. <laughs> no, there's another joke in here about honey and ants, but oh, sure. continue on. Sure. So by then, he was getting the most fan mail of anyone on the team. Wow. He was thronged when he went worst to public appearances. Worst. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that happiness really suited Dave Justice. Like, it just, it's a nice story. It doesn't keep being nice, but we'll just stop here like yay nice yeah okay i like it cool so according to him by about 18 months in this hastily constructed marriage was no longer the fairy tale that they had imagined at the outset there's a different people magazine piece that followed the february 1996 announcement that they were separating after just three years together It's very clear that Dave was incredibly angry about everything, and it's pretty gross. Hallie says things like, quote, It's something I'm still struggling to understand. Every day wasn't bliss, but I didn't see that our problems were so great we'd be divorcing. Dave, (laughs) quote, She wasn't the same person I was with before we got married. She'd get mad when I watched ESPN. Every time she saw a picture of me with a woman, any woman who might have been standing by my side, she thought I was cheating. She carried a lot of baggage. She was always suspicious. I've never known a girl who can throw a tantrum like she can. Have you met a Leo? Leo doesn't go automatically to tantrum. You have to push a Leo to tantrum. So all of that, just claim your behavior, dude. Well, yeah, but what do you... And don't trash your wife. I was going to say, I mean, how do you push an Aries to like tell the press all that shit about his ex? You don't. And Aries will gladly walk up to the microphone and do that. Clearly. Because he's... That's shitty. He's done it over the years. Yik. Yeah, Yik is right, yeah. The divorce was, as you can imagine, hugely acrimonious. So in that people profile, she had disclosed, oh yeah, this is... She had disclosed that during filming of The Last Boy Scout, her boyfriend at the time, whom she to this day has never named, hit her so hard that her eardrum ruptured and she lost 80% of the hearing in her left ear. Oh my. Yeah. Again, she's never named who did this, uh, which has caused some trouble for the men that she has had in her life for over sure. the years. It's widely speculated. It is widely speculated. She said, quote, I left so fast there were skid marks. It never happened to me before or since. So because of the timing of this disclosure, like she's in the middle of divorce proceedings with Dave Justice, declares that she at one point was battered. And so, of course, everybody's the like, magical, oh, logical my conclusion. God, her six foot three inch tall athlete husband who loves swinging a baseball bat beat the crap out of her and ruptured her ear. That was sort of. They get lumped together. You know how like. On the internet, we complain about, like, people read the headline but keep scrolling, and then they absorb whatever the headline said, even though the article maybe said correct something different or gave it more context, but they miss all that. That's kind of what happened with this. Like, the headline was, someone hit Halle Berry, and so everybody was just like, you know. Apparently, it was not Dave Justice. It is not Dave Justice, okay. no. So there were some reasons to suspect abuse, though, and some reasons to believe that even then... Dave was trying to correct the record. So, for instance, at the end of September in 96, uh, Dave Justice was in Los Angeles for a playoff game 
shows up at Halle Berry's doorstep at 9.30 in the morning, demanding to come in and get some of his belongings. Okay. She didn't let him in. Dude bro stays outside of her house for the next four hours, occasionally yelling to someone on his cell phone about how he's going to break down the door and the windows to get in. And she's inside the house. So Hallie gets a temporary restraining order. Good for her. Yeah, because she was in fear of her safety and well-being. So again, I mean, and again, divorce proceedings can get hot. I, I get it. Like... There, there was a certain logic to, okay, this guy's, this guy hits women. It's not that far of a jump. Yeah. Uh, again, probably not the case, but... So earlier in the legal squabbles, there had been media reports that Dave demanded that Hallie disclose details of her past relationships with Wesley Snipes and Eddie Murphy. She argued that this was designed to intimidate and embarrass her, but it may also have been that Dave wanted to sort of include other names in the record as likely, I guess we say, suspects when it came to who might have abused Halle Berry prior to her relationship with David Justice. It's all very tricky because, again, she has never said who did this. So the divorce is finalized in June of 97. The two went their separate ways. They have not kept in touch. Interesting that. Yeah, Hallie experienced the relationship and divorce as a deeply personal failing and has said that she even considered suicide when the marriage collapsed. Oh, no. Dave was traded to Cleveland, the Yankees, and the Oakland A's before he retired from baseball in 2002. He had a truly remarkable career from um, 91 to 2002. Every team he played for made it to the postseason. Whoa. Except in 94 where there was a strike, so. That's incredible. Not his fault. <laughs> He played in the World Series seven times, Wow! won it twice. He was the first member of the 14 consecutive division title teams inducted into the Atlanta Braves Hall of Fame Wow! in 07. Today, he lives in San Diego with his wife, Rebecca, and their three children. They've been married since 2001. So again, I mean, seems like pretty stable. A good know. ending. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh Less so for Halle Berry. She's been in a lot of relationships. Uh, she had a pretty big 01, though. That is the year she starred in Monsters Ball and became the first and so far the only woman of color to win the Academy Award for Best Actress. Her acting resume is enormous. She has done a lot of franchise work as Storm in the X-Men movies. She's been a Bond girl. She played Catwoman in the eponymous and massively panned film as well as dozens of other film and TV roles. Some very good, some very not good. (laughs) You take the work where you get it. You do. Um, Yeah, I think she... I don't know if she's, like, doing favors for directors that she knows or what, but she really has taken some projects that you kind of... Like, you knew that was not going to (laughs) work. Well, she's also done done some passion projects, too. She got introducing Dorothy Dandridge to film as Mm -hmm. a producer. So... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's married and divorced twice since things ended with Dave Justice and had a long relationship with model Gabriel Aubrey, with whom she got into a nasty custody fight over their child when they broke up. This was super messy. Uh, Ultimately, there was a brawl between Gabriel and her new boyfriend, who would become husband number three. Oh, no. There were dueling restraining orders between the two men. Oh, my. And eventually, a court ordered a $16,000 a month child support payment from Hallie to Gabriel. Really? 
whoo, messy tangled webs. Is that the tangled webs we weave? In 2015, after two years of marriage, she and third husband Olivier Martinez announced they were divorcing, which somehow prompted Dave Justice, you know, old Dave Justice from back in the 90s, to go insane on Twitter. This is, I'm so tired of Twitter starring in disputes. So he started... You're not even part of this picture anymore, man. You're 20 years out. Yeah, he started... done. He started by saying it was not him who had caused the ear damage and that Hallie has never said that he hit her. He went on to just straight up criticize her again after almost two decades complaining, only the guys in the relationship with Hallie know the real deal. There will be another, of course. He'll be called the best. Until it ends. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, dude. You're All right, drama king. You've been married for 15 years with a bunch of kids. You're happy. Stop it. Stop. Simmer down. Stop it. Bucko. So he explained himself afterwards a little bit, saying that his kids were now 15, 13, and 11, and that he had had this cloud hanging over him since he was with Halle Berry. He said that after their divorce, while he was still playing baseball, People in the stands would shout things like, Hey, Justice, hit the ball like you hit Hallie. Or one time he got on a plane and a flight attendant comes over and is like, Aren't you the guy who hit Hallie Berry? Which, yowza. So he believes that this has cost him endorsement deals. Like, it's just been a reputational hit to him that, you know, to his mind... He didn't do it, so this well, the way sucks. to combat that is not to go on Twitter and beat her with words. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, on, he he, yeah, he's not. He's maybe not the bad guy he was in '91, but he's he doesn't seem like he's uh, the most generous soul in the world. Certainly not when it comes to his ex. Anyway, so yeah, like he's at a point in his life where he like coaches kids in his community whatever and he just wants absolution for this thing he didn't do and it's easy to understand that like you can't blame the guy for wanting that but you know he does find the worst possible way to try to get things handled so while Hallie herself never directly addressed that crazy twitter outburst Pretty soon after TMZ was talking to, to like, quote-unquote, people close to Halle Berry, who said, yeah, yeah, she never accused Dave Justice of that. She never right. accused him of that. So Justice was like, woo, free and clear, look, she's saying it wasn't me, which, again, is not exactly what, but, you know. So it seems like, you know, Dave Justice is kind of douchey and Halle Berry has terrible taste in men. But, you know, in the end, it seems like maybe that got cleared up a little bit. All right, I'm going to give Halle Berry the last word here because say what you will, but she's generally been really graceful and introspective about her garbage love life. Sure. So here's something she told Australia's Daily Telegraph in 08, uh, as quoted in a Daily Beast story called The Slut Shaming of Halle Berry in 2015. So the article says she again spoke about her failed marriage to Justice in 08, stating that the union, quote, started off with such promise, but quickly unraveled, probably for the better. The star's words weren't at all bitter or spiteful toward her first husband. It seemed to be a good idea at the time, she told the Telegraph, but we soon found that we didn't have much in common and our work kept us apart for long periods, a major cause of strife. That was a moment in my life when my brain short-circuited, and I just had to live with my mistake until I could escape from the marriage. It was a shame. So as far as I can tell, she's never been 
like awful. She's not a trash talker. No, she's never I mean, been. That's a lot of first marriages. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a good idea at the time. That's and again, and they then were... I grew up a little and was like, what the hell was I doing? Yeah. They were both young, suddenly famous. Like there's a lot of reasons why you can imagine. Um, anyway. So yeah, she's been cool about it. And he apparently has been a trash bag anytime her name has come up in the press. So I'm going to do a trash can rating a little differently. Just going to going to break this out a bit. So um, I give him five trash cans for attacking her in the press and on social media for two decades. Mm-hmm. Like, get over it, dude. Uh, we get that it was a bad marriage. We get that it hurts. <laughs> Move on. Life goes on. But I do think he gets a two trash can credit for two decades of apparently unfounded speculation about abuse that he never engaged in. That's fair. So that would be three. And uh, I feel like she would be due for halos for turning his career around in Atlanta, except that she apparently let the rumors about him go unclarified for two decades. So I'm going to give her one trash can for each decade. So they get five trash cans altogether, but from different angles. Got a lot of maths in there. I I like it. Sweet swing with the trash cans there. What a mess. So that's uh, the marriage, divorce, and post-divorce of uh, Halle Berry and Dave Justice, who, I mean, again, it seemed so promising at the time, and it has has not been. That's a hell of a story. Well done. Great work. Thanks. Until we're back again for another... Week of Trashy Divorces next Sunday. Thanks, everybody. Another round of trash candy. For listening. Y'all are the very best. We strongly appreciate spending time in your earbuds. Y'all rock. Mm -hmm. If you need more trash candy in the meantime, where do folks go? We have it all week long at patreon.com slash trashy divorces, where we just just rabbit hole. (laughs) Really does sound dirty. Three, four times a week. It's my favorite (laughs) new dirty word. What you doing? I'm rabbit holing. Nope. (laughs) Nobody. Nobody, nope. <laughs> Thanks again, everybody. We will be back with you next week. Until we see you then. Cheers. We're keeping it trashy for you because uh, yeah. you're keeping it trashy for us. Don't order pepper in France. That's how you get ants. <laughs> Bye, y'all. See you next week. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. 
Come join us over there. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.